Well, today we're continuing our study in a series called More Than Conquerors, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 today, and so I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. The title of this morning's message is Tearing Down a Stronghold, Tearing Down a Stronghold. And we've been focusing on the concept of victory in the believing life over the last two weeks, and we're coming to now the middle of this study. And what has happened up to this point, if this is your first time with us or you were out recently, is we began by looking at the people of God as they were entering into the promised land. They had been delivered from Egypt. One generation had an opportunity to not only pass through the Red Sea, but also to enter into a promised land where God had promised them abundance. God had promised them safety. God had promised them peace. And you know, in a very real sense, God has done that for you and me. When we trusted Jesus Christ, he said that he had come that you and I might have life abundantly, abundantly. And so the promised land really represents that for you and for me. But the first generation felt it was too difficult and that they couldn't do it. And out of their fear, they disobeyed God and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Joshua is about the story of the next generation that came and said, we'll do it. And they... In uh, chapter 1, Moses, uh, Joshua receives direction from the Lord, and we looked at what it means to live as a spiritual warrior. Last week, we looked at the concept of making a choice as being a very important first step in experiencing victory in our life. And we saw that in the life of Rahab, a prostitute who welcomed Israel, Israel's spies into her home. And we saw that, saw that last week. That was chapter 2. Chapter 3 and 4 really describes the entry into the promised land when all the nation crossed the Jordan River. And just like at the Red Sea, the Jordan River parted and the water stood up in heaps on either side and the people of Israel crossed straight through on dry land. They camped at a place called Gilgal. And at that location, they prepared themselves for the battles ahead. That whole generation, for example, had not experienced circumcision, so they did that. And and it was really a spiritual preparation. And now they're about to take Jericho. This is the the first city, the first obstacle in their path. And the manna that had been falling every day, except on the Sabbath, for 40 years, when they crossed the Jordan River and ate of the fruit of the promised land, the manna stopped falling. And they didn't have a choice. There was no turning back. If they were going to continue to survive, they were going to have to take what God had said was theirs. So we come to Joshua 6, and we're you may or may not be familiar with the story, but God had given these incredible instructions to Joshua to march the people and the ark and the army around the city every day for six days, one time, and then on the seventh day, everything changed. And that's what we're reading about, Joshua 6, verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. The previous days had been one circuit. On the seventh day, it was seven circuits around. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20. 
So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. You know, it really is easier to stay in the desert. It's a lot easier to wander around in the desert. I fear some of us have done that. We're missing out when we do that. God has promised us a life of abundance, and we don't get that wandering around in the desert. But the moment you enter the promised land, you begin a life of faith, that is when your greatest battles begin, when you're trusting him actively. And the first thing you and I have to do when we begin this walk of faith, and faith is ultimately our victory, but the first thing you and I have to do when we begin this walk and this journey of faith into a promised life that he has given to us is we've got to take down the strongholds that are in our life. Now, I want to define what a stronghold is because all of us have them, especially if you're Christian and you have your own Jericho. Some of us have Jerichos that we've been facing for a lot of years and we've been just sort of standing and watching them. But they're things that you and I need to take down. Things that don't need to exist in our life. Places from which the enemy continues to operate and to discourage us and to undermine us. What is a stronghold? Here's a definition I want to operate on today and tonight when we come back and study this further. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a demonic fortress of thinking and living that opposes a relationship with God and resists submission to his rule. The New Testament defines it in these terms, and we're going to treat it that way today as we seek to understand how a stronghold comes down. It's a demonic fortress of thinking and living that opposes a relationship with God and resists submission to his rule. Do you have a Jericho in your life? I brought with me today, and uh, we're going to see how we can do this. We're going to build a wall. And um, I guess I'll do it on this side. I may have to divide it up. So you may have to use your, your imagination. Here's one called addiction. You know, that, that's a true uh, Jericho or a wall or barrier that some of us face. And it may be an addiction to a substance. It can be an addiction to a habit. It can be, um, if the statistics are right, it can be a, an addiction to pornography for a lot of men even men in ministry. And so addiction can be a stronghold, even in a believing life. You may have a particular need, a need. And because you have this need, it drives you to distraction. It's an ongoing need. It doesn't, um, it doesn't dissipate, doesn't go away. And for you, it is a stronghold, this need that you have. Uh, let me give you uh, another one. How about um, your past? Can your past be a stronghold? Can it stand in the way between you and the life that God has for you? You bet it can. And so I'm going to set this down here, uh, the past. Uh, here's, here's another one. Lostness. Lostness can be an obstacle. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not lost. How can that be a stronghold? Well, it may be a friend, someone you're really close to, someone that you care about who doesn't know Christ, and you've been praying for them. And you've been sharing with them. 
and you've been talking with them, and it never seems to, to change. It never seems to get any better. Or maybe it's a spouse or a family member or someone other than just a good friend. So lostness can be a real issue. There are other things that come to mind. Uh, some, some things I, I, I'm not going to know uh, what they are for you. And, um, and so somewhere, I've got it, here it is. You can fill in your own blank. So question mark. Uh, it may be an obstacle in your life. You're thinking about it. You know about it. But I'm not necessarily addressed it. Let me grab a couple more. And these are real. These are things that, that you and I have to deal with. Um, here's one. Desire. Can desire be a stronghold? Where you want something? And... Um, and you never seem to get it. Something you're longing for, something that you want, and it never seems to get better. Here's another one. Work. Can work be a stronghold? How many of y'all love your job? Don't raise your hand. How many of you hate your job? Uh, work can be very much a stronghold. You don't have a choice. You've got to make a living, and you're doing something that you absolutely are miserable doing. And so work can be that way. And maybe you've prayed about it, prayed that it would get better. And it's not getting better. Um, and so it's a stronghold for you. And uh, here's another one. Emotion. Emotions. Can emotions be a stronghold? If you've ever battled depression in your life, or if you've ever battled it in someone else's life where you've loved someone who struggled with powerful emotions of sadness, uh, it can be a great stronghold. A relationship can be a stronghold. Someone that you love or care for, um, well, maybe they're not good for you if they're a friend. It can be a spouse. It can be a marriage. And you're not happy in your marriage, and you're struggling with that. I just realized that nobody over here will be able to see me. You can see me over the top, can't you? Dr. Taylor, you can see me, right? Good. <laughs> Tearing down a stronghold. Do you have a Jericho in your life? Now, just, I'm not moving the wall. It just looks like I'm moving the wall, but let me just put it over here just a little bit, okay? What's your Jericho? In my definition, I said it's a demonic fortress of thinking, a whole way of living that opposes the relationship with God. It resists his rule. And so these things that set up in our lives can have, can have a demonic driver to them. If that is the case, if in fact there is a, a demonic driver to it, there is a demon behind it, if in fact that's the case, then you have a spiritual obstacle that in and of your own strength, you do not have the ability to make it change. You don't have the ability to make it stop or go away. And so by the very definition of stronghold, it's something that as far as you're concerned, it's like a mighty mountain and you can take your biggest rock and you can hurl it at that mountain and it hits the side of the mountain and you've had absolutely no effect on it. And that may be your experience in dealing with a stronghold. I want to talk this morning about four principles for tearing down a stronghold. And we are drawing this from Joshua's experience with a very physical stronghold. But you and I, I believe, can learn a lot from how he handled this and how God worked in his life and through him for the stronghold that he was facing to come down. I think there's something we can learn here. And so I don't want to go off on every element of the story, but I think there are some big, broad 
principles that you and I can lay hold of and learn from Joshua at this moment. Four principles for tearing down a stronghold. Number one, no walls will fall before you until you fall before him. No walls will fall before you until you fall before him. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. You've got to back up now because our story really starts at the end of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. You know, at the very beginning of this passage in verse 13, it says Joshua was by Jericho. Now, earlier in the chapter, they, had, they were preparing themselves ceremonially and ritually for the conquest of Canaan. And so there's been a lot of praying, a lot of uh, spiritual thinking that's been going on. But for whatever reason, now Joshua has gone and he is looking at the city of Jericho. He is by Jericho. Now, I don't know what was going through his mind and heart. I have some suspicions based on what happens in this conversation. Because this was the city. This was the city that had to be taken if the nation or the, the land of Canaan was going to be taken. It's set right in the middle between the northern part of the land and the southern part of the land. And so essentially what, what Jericho represented was a way of cutting the territory in half and removing the, the fortress that the enemy was putting their trust in. Uh, it was the city of the moon god. It was a city filled with idolatry. I cannot describe to you in a G-rated service, the kinds of, of lifestyles, the kind of brutality, the level of infant sacrifice that was practiced as they would take a live infant and put them in the arms of a statue over a roasting fire, and how many thousands and thousands of babies were killed that way. And so he's looking at the city that for an earlier generation, had caused such difficulty in their hearts, such an inability to trust the Lord, that they had turned away, disobeyed God, and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. This was that city. And Joshua, I suspect, was feeling the weight of responsibility of a leader who was being tasked by God to do the thing that nobody else in the previous generation had been able to do. And maybe you feel that way. I mean, right away... Uh, any of you who are in a leadership role, you understand something of the weight of responsibility and how that can press on your heart. If you are in a family where you look back over generations and you see your great-grandfather doing something and your, your great-grandfather and your grandfather and, and your father all doing the same thing, all having the same kinds of failures in their life, and here you are, maybe the first believer in a whole series of, 
generations, and you are saying to yourself, can I overcome what my fathers could not overcome? And so he's standing by Jericho, and, and these things of some sort or other, they're going through his mind. And then he encounters this man who has a drawn sword. And what I like about him is he immediately confronts the man. He goes right up to him. He asks him the question, are you with us or are you with them? Whose side are you on? And that's a good leadership thing. And he's acting like a commander should. He's acting like a good general should. And he's confronting this man with the sword. But then something happens that I don't think he expected and that totally reshaped his thinking about the obstacle, the stronghold that was in front of him. And that was when the man spoke and he said, no. Now that wasn't one of the options that Joshua had given him, if you think about it. He said, are you for us or against us? And he said, no. I'm not on either side. I'm the commander of the Lord of hosts, armies. There is a vast unseen army, and I'm in charge of that army. And as far as we know, Joshua recognized immediately that this now was no ordinary man, but this was in some miraculous way that occurred several times throughout the Old Testament was a, a vision or an encounter with the presence of God in human form. Theologians call that a theophany. And the, the phony part of that word means to appear, and theo means God, and so it's a God appearance. A lot of Bible students believe that it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Before he came as a baby, he appeared several times throughout the Old Testament in human form. We know at least one of those was Jesus, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Um, and I, in John chapter 12, the apostle John says that that was Jesus that Isaiah saw. And so we know there's something to that. What we know is that when Joshua heard this person and when he spoke, that, that his reaction was immediately to fall on his face. And suddenly he realized that all the weight for the military conflict that he was about to enter into was not on his shoulders, that he was not the true commander of the battlefield, that someone else was in charge, and that there was a battle far greater in the unseen realm than he had ever imagined and that he could ever comprehend, and that, and that the real issue was not whether or not God was on his side as he approached Jericho, but was whether or not he was on the Lord's side. We talked about choosing sides last week. Well, this was Joshua's experience. And immediately he surrendered all authority, didn't he? He said, what do you want your servant to do? I'm not the captain. I'm not the one responsible for all these people, he says. I'm not the one that's going to make or break whether or not we take Jericho. This is the commander of the Lord's armies. This is the one who is really going to make the difference. This is the one that I need to listen to. Have you had that kind of encounter as you have prayed about and thought about the Jericho in your life? You cannot begin to see the walls come down until you are down before him. Wherever you see the walls come down and you see people experiencing victory in their life, there's always a worshiper somewhere who is down on their face. Someone who has said and seen that he is the commander and he is my commander. Immediately his question changes 
It's not, are you on my side or their side? But what do you want me to do? And I want to suggest to you in the strongest way possible as your brother in Christ, that if you're dealing with a stronghold in your life, this is where it begins. The walls don't come down until I come down. And I lay myself at his feet. Well, that's the first principle for seeing a stronghold torn down. No walls will fall before you until you fall before him. There's a second principle I want you to see. Focus on his promises and not on your problem. Focus on his promises and not on your problem. Now, the conversation with this person who is God continues in chapter 6. And so in verse 1 of chapter 6, we read, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now, we tend to focus on our problems, don't we? We do. If I were to ask you right now, uh, what are the victories of your life? Or if I were to ask you, what are the problems in your life? How quickly and how thoroughly could you respond to which question the fastest? You know, we tend to be very quick to talk about our problems. What do we need to pray for? We're going to talk about our problems. And, and we immediately are going to discuss that. These are the things that keep us up at night. These are the things that plague us. These are the things we're saying, God, why? And, and we're struggling with these strongholds. We're, we're wrestling with these things. And they disturb us. But in verse 2, God says something really interesting to Joshua. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You notice the word see in verse 2? Can you see that? Is it up there? Uh, I guess not. Can you see that in verse 2? See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You see the word see? I mean, if I had my Bible right now, I would, I would probably underline that or circle that word see. Because he is saying, I want you to see something. Now, if I go back to verse 1, what does it say the situation is there? If you look at the city in verse 1, if you see the city in verse 1, it's, it's shut up securely, isn't it? No one's going in, no one's going out. It doesn't look like anything's been given over to Joshua. I mean, if you're just looking at the problem at that particular moment, it doesn't look like there's been any kind of a victory. And yet God says, I want you to see something. I want you to see that I have already given it to you. It's already yours. You've already been victorious. So based on verse 1 and 2, 1 being the problem, 2 being the promise, what does God want you to see? What does God want you to focus your attention on? The problem or the promise? And you know, throughout Scripture, if you and I are going to deal with the strongholds in our life, we need to know something of the promises of God. We need to know what is the truth about us and our problem. What is the truth about my stronghold and about me? And I need that truth. And he says, here's the truth, and I want you to look at the truth. It's a very different thing from your problem. Let me give you an illustration of this. You may just want to jot this down 
in your margin, probably one of the most common things as a pastor, as a Christian that I've encountered in my walk with God is a defeatist attitude concerning a sin habit that I may have or that someone around me may have, a sin habit. Sin habit being that thing I've tried to stop a thousand times and I can't seem to, to stop it. And, and it discourages me or it discourages someone who's come to me and is talking to me about the sin problem that they have. And so the tendency is, God, help me with this. God, deliver me from this. God, make it better. God, give me strength, you know, whatever the case may be. But what is the truth about you and a sin habit? Now, just jot this in the margin, just Romans chapter 6. And you can read the chapter on your own. But let me just read to you the verse 1. Here's the truth about your problem if you're struggling with a sin habit. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, the apostle Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now either your experience is the total truth about what's happening or God's word is the truth about what's happening. In this case, he says, you don't have to continue living that way. Let me read another verse from Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. He says, knowing this, that our old man, and that's your old relationship to sin and God, you were cut off from God, you were mastered by sin. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. My relationship to sin has changed. It is not inevitable that I sin the sin habit over and over and over and over again. So he concludes in Romans 6 verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. I still feel the pull. I still experience temptation. But sin is not my master. And that's true of every Christian here. God says, let me tell you the truth about what you're experiencing. Let me tell you the truth about your stronghold. It is not inevitable that you be succumbing to that every day or every month or however often you find yourself failing. It's not inevitable. And so you and I need to go into the Word and begin to discover what is the truth about me and my stronghold. What is the truth about me and the problem that I'm experiencing? And that's where good, godly, biblical counseling can be helpful, is when someone sits and says, hey, here's what the Word of God says about your problem. Let's pray and try to understand that together so we can know what is the truth. Focus on His promises, not on your problem. There's a third principle for tearing down a stronghold that we see in Joshua's life here. Number three, develop a daily walk based on his instructions and relying on his presence with you. A daily walk. He's got instructions, and the ark represented the presence of God. And so we read in verse 3. These are the instructions that God gave to Joshua. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. 
And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And they're blowing them the whole time. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat. Now I want you to notice two things. First, it was a detailed process that God gave to Joshua that involved ultimately the destruction of the stronghold. It was a process. It was detailed. And what you need to know is that more than likely, if you are struggling with a particular stronghold in your life or you're up against a circumstantial stronghold, dealing with someone else, dealing with something in your world, that God has truth in his word, detailed instruction how to address that problem every day, how to respond to that need, how to respond to that challenge, how to respond to this thing in you that opposes a relationship with God. It's a detailed process. God's Word does talk to us about how to deal with anger, for example, how to handle money, how to make a marriage work, how to overcome temptation, God's way to live with a non-Christian, any kind of non-Christian in the workplace or even in your family or with a spouse. God has directions in his word, detailed instructions that you and I can apply every day. And that's what was happening here. They had something to do every day. It's a detailed process. The second thing I want you to see about this is not only was it detailed, it was a daily process, something they needed to do daily. Daily, they needed to walk with the presence of God. And the ark represented the presence of God among the people of God. And every day they had this. Do you have a daily walk with him? Is there a sense that I'm daily relying on him? Am I talking to him? Am I seeking him? There's a daily part of this struggle, a daily part of this challenge. Do I know what his word says? Not just what he's promised, but the procedure, what he has said to do if I'm dealing with one of these problems. Do I know what his word says? Again, this is where godly counsel can be helpful. Uh, a godly Sunday school teacher who's been teaching God's word for 20 years, 30 years, they can be helpful. A pastor should be able to help you. There are others that just have walked with God, and they have wrestled with their strongholds, and they have seen God take them down, and they can talk to you about what God's word says to do. And then there's a fourth principle I see here in the text. You must fall down before him, focus on his promises, develop a daily walk. But the last one is this, and this is perhaps the most important one, that if you're struggling today, you're facing a stronghold that I want you to take hold of. Because when you're in a battle like this, it's really easy to get discouraged. And I want you not to be discouraged. And I want you to see what happens here. Number four, the fourth principle is this, expect him to deepen your faith before he demolishes the walls. Right after he got these detailed instructions, Joshua went and told the priests. He said, grab your ram's horns. <laughs> grab the ark. He put the army in the front. He put the ark in behind them. He put a rear guard, and then all the people followed that group, and they went around the city. It was about an eight-acre mound site 
the walls were probably anywhere from 15 to 20 feet thick based on what archaeologists have said. It's an eight-acre mound, and they are making a circuit around it. I mean, he's near Jericho. God tells him this. He immediately grabs the priest, grabs the army, says, let's take a walk. And they walk around the city. It took about 30 minutes to make a circuit around an eight-acre mound. Now look at verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. That was it for that day. That's all they did. Once around. Verse 12, and Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And they did it again. And when you read the text, it goes into great detail. They did this and this and this and this. They're following the instructions. This is day two. And then verse 14, it says, in the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. Now, can I state the obvious? If God's going to take the walls down supernaturally, he didn't need six days to do it. There is nothing in, in who God is that kept him from taking the wall down immediately. And so why did he lead them, direct them to go through this business of walking around the city for six days? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, these people are described in the great lineup of people who were faithful in Hebrews 11. And in verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. There's our answer. God was building their faith. God didn't need the people to fight a single battle when they entered the promised land to defeat Canaan, to defeat the gods of Canaan, to defeat the moon god of Jericho. He didn't need the people to do that. But he wanted the people to be in a relationship with him, an intimate relationship with him, close to him, trusting him. And so they go around day one. They go around day two. And what's interesting, if you read the text closely, is that Joshua never tells the people how many days they're going to do this. He says, today, everybody get up, let's take a walk. Day two, he does it again. Now, you and I are all about progress. Am I making progress against my stronghold? Am I seeing some of the bricks come down? Am I, am I, am I making forward movement? Is something happening in this area where I have been trusting in his promise and following his procedure? Joshua did not tell them how many days they had to walk. God is all about the process of building faith. And so when we don't see the walls coming down in the time in which we think they ought to come down, understand that he's not as much about progress, he can do it like that, as he is about process. He's doing something with you. He's doing something that is very important in the lives of the people of God and involved building their faith. If you were one of those individuals who are walking around the city, I want you to think with me about that. You're walking around. And this is my Jericho right here, okay? So I'm walking around the city. And I look up at the walls, day one. And then we go back to camp. And we camp. And nothing's happened. Joshua gets up the next day and says, all right, everybody, let's do it again. Line up. 
And so I, I do it again, day two. And I'm walking around the walls, and I'm looking. And I'm kind of glancing at it. Nobody said a word, but I'm looking at that wall. They haven't moved. They haven't budged even a little bit. And you know, this goes on in day three. How do you think they're feeling by day four? What do you think's going through their mind on day five? You know, we're all about progress. God is all about a process of building faith in us. When I ran track and field in another life, when there was a certain kind of practice that we did that involved intervals, and, and we would go out on a track, and we might run 100 yards, 110 yards, and then walk 110. And then coach would say, now I'd run 220, and then we'd run 220 yards. And he'd say, now, you know, walk. And he'd say, now run 330, which is three quarters of the way around. He said, now run a 330. And we'd do that. And we'd go up, we'd go down. We'd go up, we'd go down. I mean, it was a killer. And the nice thing about the coach is he never told you how many times we were going to do this. You never knew when it was the last interval. You didn't know we're just going to run six 220s today or something like that. He, he wasn't that kind of a coach. He wasn't about encouragement, <laughs> and he was about building us up. And, and whatever we were asked to do, he wanted us to be able to go do it. And so we went and we did it. But I didn't know when the last run was going to be. I didn't know when we had finished our practice. I didn't know. Faithful endurance is the pathway to every victory. Faithful endurance. The writer of Hebrews that we've already read in chapter 11, earlier in chapter 10, says something to us about this thing that God does when we keep going around and around and around and we're in this process of building faith. And he's writing to the people who are called the Hebrews and they have experienced persecution and people they love and they care for have experienced persecution. They're in chains and they've had their things plundered, their stuff taken away from them. They've lost their homes. They've lost their stuff. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, the writer says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you have done the will of God, then you may receive the promise. Endurance. Now, if you think with me about it, they went around Jericho a total of 13 times. You can do the math on that. Once a day for six days, seven times on the last day, 13 circuits around Jericho. What if they had stopped on the 12th circuit? And see, some of you are probably right there. You've been around and you're trusting God's promise and maybe you know the procedure he wants you to use and you've been applying it, you've been faithful every day and nothing about the wall is different from yesterday. But you may be on your last circuit. You may be on your last time around. God may be about to bring that stronghold down and you don't want to stop too soon. You don't know when you're going to have to stop. The people following Joshua didn't know when it was about to be over. To their credit, they never challenged him. They never questioned him. Joshua, you say go around, we're going to go around. You want us to skip and stand on our head, we're going to do it. 
because we've seen the Red Sea part and we've seen the Jordan River part. And we know that what God's leading you to you do, that's all we need to know about. But you may feel like you're all alone and you're struggling and you've been trying and you, you're working at this and you're applying yourself. And, and here's the thing, if you are still trusting the Lord and you're listening to what I'm saying, and you're saying, yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, I, I am resting my hope in you. Can I just tell you right now that you are experiencing the journey of victory that he wants you to have because faith is the victory. And I don't know if ultimately you're going to be delivered from that stronghold by passing from this life into a new life. I can't give you the answers to what's involved in the stronghold that you're dealing with. But I know this, don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Here's the bottom line. God will lead you to tear down every stronghold, but never alone or in your own strength. He's not going to let these things just stand there without giving any attention to them in your life. He wants you to address them. He has them there for a reason. Jericho did not damage the people of God. It actually advanced them and deepened their faith. And so whatever Jericho that you're facing, he wants you to go after it. He wants you to attack it. He wants you to discover the truth about yourself in this thing that you're dealing with. But he wants you to trust him. He's the commander of the armies of the Lord. Have you fallen down? Have you taken the first step to dealing with the stronghold in your life? For you this morning, your first step may be to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To come and meet him who is the commander, who is the one in charge, and, and fall before him, bow down before him and say, I can't do this. It's too big for me. I can't do this in my own strength. I don't have the power to deal with it, and I can't bear the weight of responsibility for dealing with it, and so I'm surrendering to you as my commander. Are you focusing on the problem instead of the promise? Are you so consumed with the difficulty and the, the huge size of this stronghold in your life that you're not even considering what God says about it? He's, you're not even listening to the word. You're not applying it to your heart, to your life, your mind. You're just flailing in the wind of circumstances. And God has a promise for you. God has a word for you, truth for you. Are you involved in a daily walk with him? I mean, that's a principle. I've never seen a circumstance in Scripture more clearly illustrated that God says, I want you to do this every day. I'm going to take that wall down for you. It's going to change you in the process. But every day I got something for you to do. As you enter into this battle, I got something for you. And the last one, are you accepting the process or are you resisting it? God wants to build faith in you. Are you so distracted, so consumed with your problem, maybe even upset with God, angry at him, that you cannot just let it go and say, Father, I'm sorry for not trusting you. And I give you my heart. And whatever happens, if this stronghold stays to my last breath, I'm going to trust you that I already have the victory. 
And one day I'll see it as clearly as you're seeing me now. How do you need to respond to him? The altar is going to be open when we stand and sing. If you need to pray, if it helps you, it helps me. You just need to come and spend some time at the altar and say, Oh God, oh God, I've been handling this thing all wrong. And there's someone you're praying for. Maybe they need you to intercede for them. Maybe it's something in your home, your family. And you haven't given this to the Lord, and it's time. It's time to surrender that to him and do what he says next. Pastors, and I'll be standing down at the front. We're here to counsel with you, to pray with you. If you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, nothing would give us greater joy than to help guide you into that relationship. We'll share scripture with you. You can read it for yourself and make this decision on your own. We invite you to come. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth about the strongholds that each of us faces. Father, I pray for that person who's been looking at their Jericho all wrong, and they realize that this morning and today, they're ready to bow before the commander of the armies of the Lord. And they're ready to begin to seek your promises and to seek guidance from your word every day. I pray, Father, that their faith as they reach out to you right now, as I'm praying, that their faith would become a great source of encouragement to them, that they would see that you are a living God who is at work in their life to build and to strengthen and to change and transform them and not to harm them. Father, these moments are yours. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Lord, guide us as we respond to you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.